Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. Because they put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. I don't think you need to touch the steering wheel there, Tom. Oh, I'm sure there's some math. So SpaceX, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, landing a rocket on a drone ship is key. Charger, 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 <laughs> charger. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? Safely. Charger, charger, charger. <laughs> now, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. You don't even have to I remember smoke. that. You've got a Model X. I have seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. It's Talking Tesla 246. This is a wide release show. And just for that, I'm going to introduce Mel Herbert, who's going to give you a little bit of a tongue wagging. Oh, wait, where is Mel? Mel's not here. So, you know what? You guys get a break this week. Amazing. Isn't that exciting? I feel yes. a weight off my chest just for the fact that. Nobody's going to get ridiculed today, but we it have would be our- great if you did support us on Patreon, because you know what? That is what makes the show possible. So if you are listening without joining Patreon, know that if you like the show, if you listen to it more than twice, you should become a Patreon supporter. Just look us up on Patreon. And today, I know Mel's not here, but in his steed, we have brought in a guest 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 host, host guest, from all the way on the other side of the planet. I think Joel and Harold are literally on opposite sides of the globe. And so Harold Murphy is here from Perth, Australia, fresh off a giant drive, a drive longer than I think all the four of us hosts of Talking Tesla have ever done combined. It's, yeah, it's a bit staggering and uh, I'm a little sweaty under the pits. Just considering such a drive, it would worry me. It would worry me greatly. So welcome, Harold. It's great to have you on the show. We've hung out a bunch at a bunch of different Tesla events and uh, it, yeah, we've had some good fun and it's, uh, it's once in a while we're going to do this. And today uh, it's my great honor to introduce you. How are you? Thanks, Robert and uh, Joel. Uh, I'm I'm really good. I'm well rested after my little trip. Um, it was just a two week little drive around wow. Australia, I guess. Um, it was about eight and a half thousand miles or thirteen and a half thousand kilometers, and I did it in two weeks. So, uh, so yeah. So Australia, the you know because of the you know the way that maps are made, sometimes people don't realize how big. Australia is and um so it took you two and a half weeks which I always feel like if I just went to California and back that would be something like that from from Boston but what I wanted to do for our listeners um is um sort of put that into uh you know sort of a context for you um for our U.S. listeners if you were um at the very north of Maine um in Acadia Acadia Mountain and traveled the the whole sort of uh, border of Canada up to uh, 
Seattle and north of Seattle, came down all the way to the, um, uh, let's see, uh, San Diego, and then went from San Diego to Miami and back up to uh, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville. That's about how far you traveled um, in just two weeks, yes. two and a half weeks. Yep. That's absolutely amazing. Um, and so that's, like you said, what did you say was 8,500 miles thereabouts? That's right, about 8,500 miles. And, um, yeah, I averaged about, well, nearly 1,000 kilometres, or that's about, oh, I don't know, 600, um, miles. 600 miles a day. Yeah. And, and bearing in mind that, um, you know, my longest stretch between actual charges of any sort was about 250 miles, and that's okay. with nothing in between. So I had to basically make sure, and, and this was in a brand new Model Y. So I, I got a brand new Model Y on a Friday, and I left first thing on Sunday morning. Wow. So, so I had you very obviously little time. aren't married or anything like that, right? <laughs> No, I am, I am very happily married, um, but my wife quite wisely chose to not join me on this little trip. So uh, I did it solo. And in fact, mm -hmm. uh, there are actually two of us that did it solo. I, I went around Australia in an anti-clockwise direction, going uh, eastwards first from Perth, which is in the lower west side of Australia. And mm -hmm. a friend of mine, Pete Petrosky, he actually went in a clockwise direction and we left simultaneously. And I arrived back. We, we actually met halfway, literally in the middle of nowhere in the Northern Territory, in a, um, a roadhouse called Barclay Homestead. Oh, wow. And uh, it was great because it was like a bit of a reuniting. And that then technically closed the loop jointly between the two Model Ys. And then we carried on our, our journeys separately again and uh, returned back to Perth. I did it in 14 days. And uh, that's the second time I've been around Australia in an EV. First time was in a Model X. Uh, and uh, Pete came back uh, just yesterday, actually, and that was after 17 days, which is an awesome effort for someone who's, who had done it for the first time. So 8,500 miles, um, and um, I, I know the Europeans think that's sort of a arbitrary measurement, um, not based on anything interesting. One other way to look at this mileage is it's about 8.1 million um, Mel Herberts. If you were to stack them <laughs> end to end... That's how many Mel Herberts you'd go through. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that. That's what's the Mel's on that on that uh, sheet there. Um, now it and, all makes sense. Yeah. Why yeah. you texting me yesterday while I'm at work, <laughs> yeah. saving lives? I get a text <laughs> out of the blue from Joel. He says, "Robert, how tall are you?" I guess for me it would be you know I don't know seventy five seven hundred seven point five million. Roberts, or I don't know what, but yeah, now it yeah. all makes sense. Well, so, I, I just figured it since it's such a big number, it, it's better to make Mel look really tiny. Make Mel, so, yeah, use Mel. Yeah. Well, Australia is a big place <laughs> at the very top of I think it's uh Norway. Um, what is the name of that country, or that city there? Anybody want to try to pronounce that city? Um, begins with an M. Where, Let's see. Now, where is Mel? Darn, we need it, it today. It's um, uh, Magaroya, um, and I think that is um, Norway. Magaroya, yes. Yeah, probably the very top of Norway. Um, you know, basically the top, the, the most northern point in you know continental Europe. 
driving all the way down to uh, Spain, uh, staying on the Portugal coast, uh, getting down to Gibraltar, which I've been to before, uh, back up up to Warsaw, Poland, and then over to the very top of uh, the UK is a very similar number of miles. It's just a tremendous amount of time, all in two weeks, mind you. Well, then imagine this, Coming. Joel. Um, the from Townsville, which is in uh, northern Queensland, mm-hmm. across to Perth, I had to drive just over four thousand miles or six and a half thousand kilometers charging my car with nothing but level two AC chargers. There was zero, absolutely zero superchargers and zero fast DC chargers of any sort. Mm-hmm. Absolute barrenness as far as, you know, civilised DC charging. Um, you, you know that- a, Do you have how many chargers you did? Um, like how many charges during that time? Oh, um, I probably passed probably 20, more than 20, and that's all level two AC charging. Uh, from a, a place called Gympie, which is also in, in Queensland, to Perth, which is we have a supercharger in Perth just in the last year and a half or so, uh, I had to travel 5,000 miles between superchargers. <laughs> you know? That's, yeah, and we do. So we have a supercharger date? story later on, just to put this into perspective as well. Uh, that's for right. you. So you have yeah. on. Um, I think it's on a website that's on your Twitter. Um, some of the different chargers. I counted seventy three different yep. chargers here. Um, there's a lot between Melbourne and um, and uh, Brisbane for sure, yes. in Sydney. Um, well, see, the awesome thing was uh, uh, when I got to Adelaide. I, I navigated to near Canberra, which is Australia's capital. It's about 1,200 kilometres away or 750 miles. And I just put a waypoint in at the Mooney Pond supercharger in Melbourne just so it would take me via Melbourne because the, one of the points of doing this this uh, round Australia trip was to visit every mainland capital city as part of it. So you include all the capital mm-hmm. cities. And the the awesome thing on supercharging is – you just navigate to your destination, and of course, your car just plots out the path, and it tells you which supercharger to to go to, and it tells you how long you're going to be there. So, quite a few times, I was only there for ten minutes, which is mm. enough time to have breakfast or have a break, have a little walk around, uh, you know, tweet out where I am, uh, check in on PlugShare, and then yep. it was time to go. Um, it was just an amazing experience that. You know, people like me in, in Western Australia hardly ever get to do. And so, how would you say the experience this time in your Model Y compared to the experience previously in your Model X using that waypoint feature in Tesla navigation? Oh, that that was that was awesome because obviously in 2018 we didn't have the waypoints and. Um, I would have to have, yeah, basically just navigated to Melbourne and then to Canberra once I got to Melbourne. So that was a really useful feature, absolutely. So shout out to the Tesla team for fixing that and making that feature for you, essentially. I mean, you probably used it as much as anybody else. Absolutely. I've got to say, um, one thing that wasn't so awesome was I've got the, the newest Model Y, of course, and that's got Tesla Vision. 
And one of the things that's a bit of a pain with Tesla Vision is that it insists on having auto high beams, which when you're in the outback and you've got trucks coming the other way, it's a bit embarrassing when you put on autopilot and then you start blinding the truckies. Um, so I've become very adept at, you know, in the Model 3s and Model Ys, you have the right-hand stalk where you do a double tap to engage autopilot, and then you've got the left-hand stalk where you've got to do a push to disengage high beam. So you get used to doing the tap-tap push every time you turn on autopilot so you don't blind people coming the other way. So you're saying that for you, the auto beams, auto high beams, aren't sensitive to the truck headlights and they won't dim? That's right. They, they may eventually, but they certainly don't dim at the correct time, which is when you see them in the distance. Or, you know, the etiquette is you should dim your high beams when the car coming the other way dips theirs. And that's sort right. of like an etiquette. Right. And unfortunately, Tesla Vision just doesn't quite get that yet. Yeah, it might be Sounds sensing like major... the, the brightness or something of um, of their lights and then, oh, okay, now turn it off. I've heard that before and it seems like you can't disable that, right? You can't, no, you, you absolutely can't. The other thing you can't disable is automatic wipers. And I personally use Rainex on my cars because it's a fantastic product. I, you know, my Model X is, is over five years old and it's done... Uh, over 150,000 miles, and I've still got the original wipers because I hardly ever use them because Rainex is so good in the rain to, you know, to clear your windscreen. But, of course, Autopilot insists with Tesla Vision to have automatic wipers, and then it right. smears the bugs on your screen, and it, it it's a little bit of a pain. And so uh, just curious, no critical, did you happen to use the bug feature on the Tesla to report any of those incidents when the <laughs> headlights were not automatically dimming? No, to be honest, um, I thought you were going to ask me if I had used the bug report to report every bug that I'd hit on the way <laughs> on my journey. Mel, if Mel were, were here, he would have said that. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Would, that would definitely bug the hell out of Tesla. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have another question about the level two charging. When I first got my Tesla in 2013, yeah, it uh, it was not easy to make trips to places like Yosemite, up into the Sierras uh, in California, and uh, and even traveled across to Boulder, Colorado at one point, and had to stop at a couple of like Native American reservations to charge. How many times a day when you were on level two charging would you stop and for how long? I mean, that sounds like those days you spent a lot of time still as opposed to charging across the outback. Yes, um, we, we did have one little, little advantage. We brought along a, I guess you'd call it a slow DC charger. It, it weighed about 80 pounds and I, I had it between the... Um, the back of the front seat and the front of the back seat, sort of just sitting in the car. And and that was able to put in about 20 kilowatts into the car. So so the Model Ys have a an 11 kilowatt onboard AC charger. Uh, so basically, and that, that would get me 80 kilometres an hour of range or 50 miles an hour uh, with the slow 
DC charger that we had, this, this separate charger, you could basically double that speed. So you're getting about um, 90 miles an hour charging. So that basically halved the amount of level two charging time that you'd normally experience in an 11 kilowatt um, onboard charger. But I think, Robert, you might have, in your Model S, you may have had dual chargers in the old S, uh, which you could get about 50 miles an hour charging. So that's sort of what we experienced in the Model Y. But it's still slow compared to the, I think the fastest I saw was 169 kilowatts. And bearing in mind, this is a standard range uh, Model Y uh, with the LFP batteries, the lithium iron phosphate batteries. And I got 169 kilowatts at a at a version three supercharger, and I was doing 1,200 kilometres per hour or 750 miles an hour charging, which was just wow. absolutely awesome. So one wow. of the benefits of the uh, LFP is that you can fully charge too and oh, not yes. worry about it as and, well. And the great, yeah, absolutely. And I've had experience with a Model X with the NCA batteries. And of course, you're only supposed to take them to 90%. And on my previous uh, trip around Australia in 2018, uh, I basically accepted that, look, I didn't want to have to get up in the middle of the night because we didn't have scheduled departure, I don't think, back then. So I just set the slider to 100% and just figured, well, for the two or three weeks I'm going to do this, it's not going to cause too much damage. But the the new LFP batteries are awesome. Not only do they charge to 100%, but they when you supercharge, they they charge so hard right up to the very top. So so even when I was charging it with 20 kilowatts, uh, it took it to 99% at 20 kilowatts hmm. and then stopped. So it's really, really fast overall charging and... Like, like you said, Robert, um, you don't need to bother about percentages. You just set it to 100%. That's it. Job done. That's really fantastic, I think, for uh, customer perception because, you know, we've all seen who owns a Tesla. Well, back in 2013, it was just strange people. And by now, it's literally everyone and everyone who don't understand. And this is not a knock. I, you know, we all have busy lives, but the people who are driving Teslas nowadays, they want a car like they had the last time, be it a Honda or a Lexus or whatever. They just want to get in and go and to, to have to, uh, uh, bend your mind around, you know, superchargers. Whoa, they're supposed to be super fast. But if I drive up at 70%, because I want to go to a far off distance to go to a hundred and all of a sudden that's that, that short stay of charging is now dragging on to like 50 minutes or whatever, then people get really pissed. So to get a battery system that works sort of uniformly throughout the state of charge, I think would be an amazing boon for Tesla adoption among the, the I don't know what to call the folks who aren't the Tesla geeks, but for the regular people. Yeah, I mean, you have your your early acceptors, your early adopters, um, and then you have, you know, everybody else, and we'll we'll see exactly, you know, what people tend to do. But um, yeah, that's kind of, that's interesting, um, Harold. For your LFP uh, Model Y, is it about two hundred and seventy miles range? Is that what it is? 
Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, that's that's dead right, Joel. Exactly. Okay. Yep, precisely. Okay. Um, that's I, that's nice. That's nice. Um, and obviously made in Shanghai too. So that's just uh, that's pretty cool too. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to say, uh, the build quality is absolutely spot on. It's excellent. The fit and finish is 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 basically perfect. I could not fault it. It it really is a very well built car. Yeah. So you told us um, earlier that you uh, have a YouTube channel for um, you're the um, I'm guessing you're the president of the Western Australia I'm, Tesla Owners Club. Uh, I'm the secretary of the the Owners okay. Club. So yeah, we've got a we've got a YouTube channel. Every Wednesday we uh, we um, have an Ask Us Anything session on Zoom, and we record it. It goes for about three and a half hours, so it's bigger than Ben Hur. Wow. Um, if anyone's interested, they can they can just <laughs> if anyone's interested, they can just have a look at youtube.com forward slash Tokwa. So it's T O C W A, which basically right. stands for the Tesla Owners Club of Western Australia. It sounds Aboriginal, noticing, but that's cool. <laughs> I'm noticing, you know, this is not obviously a video show. This is a radio show. And all this while, Joel has been sporting this very nice hat, which is the official Takwa hat. And he's had it on, I think, every show for the last couple of months. Well, I, I got it, uh, I think I got it about a month ago. Um, and it came fast. Um, I actually have had some questions like my, my kids are all in uh, soccer right now. And there's a lot of folks that were pretty interested in. I had told them about your uh, journeys as well. So one of the things that we're, we're, we have on the docket too to talk about is um, some of the new massive superchargers that are coming up. So California has a, uh, a new uh, rural electric charging program uh, called GFO 21604, just in case you want to look it up, I guess. Uh, and they right. are sponsoring <laughs> a number of, of superchargers. Uh, there's four in particular sites that I wanted us to talk about today. The locations probably don't matter to everybody else in the world other than Californians, Californians but we'll talk about them. So in Baker, uh, there's going to be an additional uh, 56 stalls. I was going to say they matter to people who live in Las Vegas because yeah. many of these are on the on the drive between Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Okay. And that's an area that has had in, uh, like more than crazy impressive supercharger growth because there's just so many more Teslas and a lot of people mm -hmm. go back and forth that route. And uh, it's kind of amazing to look at how many chargers lie along that route. All right. So Baker 56 um, in Willows. Uh, there's a Willows site that's going to have 100 superchargers in a stall and a, a Brownfield development uh, located off of exit uh, 603 uh, in uh, on I-5. Um, more in Barstow. I think Barstow has like a crazy amount anyway, right? Um, another 100 in, in Barstow. And then... I'm, Koalinga, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. 164. So these will be some of the biggest uh, sites for supercharging in uh, in the world now, especially for Tesla. Um, but 164 is absolutely amazing. And if I were to put that into Australian context, uh, if you did this trip um, that Harold's just done um, and had a three superchargers every 150 miles or 240 for you uh folks that speak uh proper uh 
distance, that would uh, still not even get um, all the superchargers that are going to be in Koalinka. So can I say, Joel, that just yeah. blows my mind. The the thought experiment, and we know that Elon listens to this program. He's, a, he's yes. an avid listener and a supporter mm-hmm. of this show. That if three supercharger stalls could be placed 150 miles apart on the same journey that I undertook, that would just blow my mind, and it would just completely transform the EV landscape in Australia. Literally transform yeah. it and the ownership experience. Uh, most people live on the on the outside, on the borders. I mean, on the coastlines, right? So well, this yes. would pretty much cover most people, most of the population. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, most most of the population centres are on the eastern seaboard. Uh, the southern and northern part of Australia is, is quite sparse, and the western part, except for Perth, is also sparse. But again, there are a lot of, uh, we call them grey nomads, that, that go um, caravanning or they tow trailers in the, in the winter and they'll, they'll go... Uh, well, closer to the equator uh, uh, for winter and, you know, do the opposite in summer. So it would just transform that experience and stop people using diesel and and petrol-burning four-wheel drives and use EVs instead. So this whole California expansion, which hasn't been talked about in our supercharger report because this information has not yet hit the the sort of uh, established supercharger tracking community, right? This is just something that came about because this bill with state funding, uh, maybe some federal dollars as well, had been announced. Uh, So if something like that was done in Australia and the the sprinkling of superchargers could be done, that would actually really do big for the Cybertruck in Australia. Not to mention you know, long haul trucking, which I'm sure goes along many of these routes. And, you know, they would have to, you know, easily just throw in the, the giga plug for the semis. And so, wow, you know, you could put an entire factory probably in Australia because I'm sure trucks of both large and small size are really a big seller there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the one thing that Australia has plenty of is vacant land. So you could put acres upon acres upon acres of solar panels, solar arrays and battery storage with mega uh, mega packs combined with mega charges. And and you're just going to solve, you know, the diesel fuel burning problem there and then. And the great thing is Tesla can do that all in one company. They provide the solar, the battery storage, the chargers, the trucks, the vehicles, the semis. It's the whole ecosystem. And something else that I actually, uh, this is in Elon's ecosystem that I used, was the Starlink terminal to get 200 megabits per second in my Model Y with it mounted under the the glass roof of my car uh, where there were no cell towers I had full what? broadband secure communications while you what? were moving while right. I was moving absolutely uh, what unbelievable yep. yep I forgot to mention that I forgot to ask you about that so this is like a this is like a kind of like a marriage affirming event all that time those 2 weeks your wife had the remote all to herself and you had the starlink in the car 
You guys, my God, did you guys spy on each other? What's she watching on Netflix? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must admit, I had I had her. Um, what do you call it? A co-driver for my for my car, so she could actually follow me along. So she knew where my car was at all times and knew it was moving, which was reassuring mm-hmm. for her to know that I was still safely driving along. So um, it was awesome. That's great. That's good. Now, hopefully what that happened? wasn't your only internet connection at your house, because then she'd be really pissed at you. <laughs> well, actually, I've got two. I've got to confess, I've got two Starlink dishes. So I do have the old round, I think it's the version one terminal, and that's at Dishy home. Flat face. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 And then I've got the rectangular version two uh, uh, terminal, uh, which, I, like I said, I mounted. Basically, I just had some foam and I just mounted it between the front seat um, headrest and the, the glass roof. And it did, worked perfectly. The question I was going to ask you, did you sign up for the, uh, what is it called, the trailer service or the, the road the uh, RV, yes, the RV service, the RV, RV. which I think costs an extra 25 US dollars, I think, roughly per month to, to have that feature. And, and what that does is... Um, in places, and this is throughout the world, uh, if Starlink hasn't got guaranteed service and you order a, a dish, you, they won't send it to you on the standard service. But if you order the RV service for the extra twenty-five US dollars a month, uh, they will send you the dish. And then they they just it's on the proviso that it's best effort uh, coverage. And so when you were driving. How often would you find that there wasn't a satellite overhead and you couldn't get service? Oh, well, within the guaranteed service area, never. I, I actually traveled to the far north of, of Australia, in fact, the top to Darwin, and that was about 1,200 miles away from, from Starlink's guaranteed service area. So, so the actual base stations, Australia doesn't have all that many, were several thousand miles away, and yet the service still worked much of the time. So there were a few times when the satellite wasn't in an ideal position and it didn't get service. But frustratingly, you know, I, well, I was with the national, you know, um, cell phone carrier, and we had four bars of 4G. We had voice communications, but no data. So I then resorted just to turning on the Starlink dish and boom, there was 50, 50 megabits per second, you know, broadband service. Wow. Imagine this for like all the truckers, you know, I mean, like that's amazing. And you, this was your hack. So yes, was, I, I think the Starlink antenna needs to actually uh, pitch and yaw a bit to get ideal connection to a satellite, was yours able to do that or did you have it fixed? Because I saw once you had it fixed. No, no, I had it completely fixed. So with the with the rectangular dish, it's really good because all the shaft can do is rotate and then also change angle. But what you do is you just mount it so that that, that angle section is facing towards the back of your car so it never hits the, the headrest. And all it will do is it'll rotate a couple of times. It'll work out that it's not actually changing orientation. And it comes up with an error that just says that the motors may be stuck. And then it just carries on regardless. So like you said, Robert, it's Starlink will ideally move the dish to the most favorable position. 
but it works perfectly well when it's just completely horizontal and, and as so, it will do in airplanes and, and other things. So I think once upon a time, we, we imagined this before I think you did this hack. So no need for some goofy dome on top of your vehicle. You could just stick it on the inside, remain aerodynamic, and it works well. Absolutely. Through the glass roof, which has advanced infrared coatings and, and all that sort of stuff, it still worked perfectly well. And it was unmodified, so I didn't cut into the plastic housing. I didn't remove the shaft. I just, In fact, I actually had a bit of Velcro, so I could take the dish out if I wanted to and set it up on the ground on its stand and have it working you know, out of the car. So It, yeah. it does have some steering ability uh, using phased array but, yes um but uh and maybe it's gotten even more advanced in the second version um but i, I kind of remember there's a guy in canada who tried to do that as well but i think he took his fully apart to sit it on his roof but That's i correct. don't think his move though right um, no and i and i deliberately did not want to uh damage the the dish i wanted it to be in pristine like in unmodified condition so I just adapted it, well, my situation to it. And like I said, it's such a quick, it takes five minutes to do. It's reversible, doesn't damage the dish, and it works awesomely. I think this, uh, you know, I'm ignorant about this, but you have definitely done a full proof of concept. Has I wonder if Starlink or SpaceX has reached out to you to ask you about your experience, one, and two, if this is in and of itself sort of a video hack for all the van life people who would love to do this, even though they may be using vehicles that burn fossil fuels, this would be a great video to show off how to hack uh, Wi-Fi or I should say internet connection when you're out in the bush. Absolutely. If you've got if you've got a van that is has got a fiberglass roof or a plexiglass um, uh, skylight, you could simply just mount mount your your dish straight against that skylight, and it'll work perfectly. One of the things you had mentioned was um, how much space and area uh, Australia has to to put out solar panels and whatnot. There's also another story uh, in Yuma County, Arizona where they're going to not only do the newest uh, superchargers, the V4 superchargers, um, which apparently are somewhere between 300 and 350 kilowatt uh, chargers, maybe even more. Um, potentially. Are, yeah, potentially, because I think it's still a uh, best guess sort of thing. They'll probably include CCSs, which the previous story as well, um, by requirement, they had to have 50% CCS. And... Um, will also include two uh, 4,500 square foot solar arrays, which I did a quick calculation. It's about 391 megawatt hours per year that those would um, um, would provide in Arizona, which is about 4,600 charges of a Model 3, for example, probably Model Y as well, like yours. Um, but additionally, they're also going to put in some mega packs as well um and the new mega packs are like not just one megawatt hour um they're actually three so um they've gone up to three so that's about 3600 homes and 
surprisingly only 35 um model three um charges i had to i did that calculation like five times i wasn't i didn't believe it that is like the state of the newest um some of the newest chargers that tesla's going to be doing um what say you guys do you think these should be something that we see in australia as well i, I think it makes sense um it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh ccs and and in the States, you may think that that might be something difficult for Tesla to implement, but they've actually proven it in Europe and Australia that it's really easy uh, because our um, the older Australian cars and the European cars had a modified Type 2 inlet, which actually had the AC and the DC pins were shared. Uh, so they basically put the DC down the AC pins, and then they later came out with CCS, the combined charging system. So a lot of the older supercharger stalls actually have two cables already, two plugs. So Tesla are accustomed to actually having that configuration. So having a CCS plug at a, a US supercharger stall is really easy. It's very simple to do, easy to retrofit. And so in Europe, they use two separate cables, one with a Tesla adapt well, a connector, the other with a CCS connector. I've seen a, maybe it's a proof of concept or or came from a patent where they had a CCS uh, plug on the end of the Tesla plug. And it depended on what car drove up, how the plug would detach from the bollard. Either just the Tesla plug would come off and go into a Tesla car but if it was a car that wasn't a Tesla, the whole thing would detach from the bollard so that the Tesla plug was actually locked into the CCS plug and the CCS plug would come off and be able to be put into the car. That just, it feels like a potential failure point, but it's, it's I think, a brilliant idea, a brilliant plan. Um, you're making faces, Joel. What are you thinking? Oh, I, I think that sounds pretty cool. It really depends, like, how much that wire, that second wire costs with the second plug, right? Yeah, um, a lot of but, resources. But it's worth testing out, for sure, to see if it works. It's kind of a cool idea. I, I didn't see that patent, so that's the only reason I was making faces. But that's cool. That's pretty I, cool. I think, Robert, that it, it sort of sounds a little bit like the um, the the snake charger. It it looks <laughs> It looks awesome on video and it's magical just the way it does it right but you know it hasn't really gone anywhere because i think you know there are so many failure points um right. it's probably the simplest just to have two nozzles uh rather than have i guess you, you what you're describing is almost like a, a thimble going on the end and it and it yes. and the 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 um the bollard decides whether to grab onto the thimble and you you then pull out sort of the short part of the of the nozzle, or or you pull out the nozzle with this thimble sort of thing on the end of it. it yeah, it yeah. sounds complicated, brilliant, but complicated, and not easy to use if you're like you know at all challenged, or if you're you know for for grandma who's not used to lifting a quart of milk, a liter of milk, excuse me, then lifting some <laughs> handle off the Tesla charger that has two ends and it's get kind of heavy and. That, that would not make sense. But in this article, Joel, that you dropped in the notes from Electric. Oh, oh yes. Where's Mel? Sorry. Where's Mel? Electric! Uh, the bollard is, 
you know, reminiscent of that urban style supercharger, but it's a lot bigger, which allows for the cable to be a lot longer so that it can stretch, I hope, to other cars. I think people are going to have to work their way around the Tesla superchargers because, you know, if you have a bolt that charges on the left front fender, and if you have a leaf, it plugs in the front center of the car. I mean, all the iterations of where plugs are on cars, I haven't got them all memorized, but they're in various places. So you're going to have to work to, you know, back in, forward in, drag it from one side to the other. I think they're going to get a lot more wear and tear, but you know, it's, I think Tesla has definitely shown and people are taking note that they do supercharging or they do charging well. And when it comes to federal dollars, which are about in the United States, about to start flowing like a river, then I see superchargers for Tesla becoming, I don't know, as big as the car business. I, I kind of shudder to think that, but that'd be amazing to have sort of a unified, really functional charging system that they've been working on for a decade uh, to have that go wide and basically replace gas stations. Do you all think um, Tesla will need to make changes to the way that they do their chargers versus everybody else's? So like everybody else's has a screen, maybe has a swipe Ugh. for a card or NFC yeah. type thing. Do you think they'll be forced to like like Germany and I believe California are sort of trying to force them into a certain box? California has mandated it, I think, is it at the start of next year, 2023, that all new installations need to have a screen and possibly an NFC or a, a pay wave or tap and go credit card style payment acceptor. Mm -hmm. I, th I know they certainly have to have a screen so they can totalize the cost and how many kilowatt hours you've consumed. And that was starting next year for new installations. And I think by the end of the decade, you had to retrofit the old ones. So it's funny because last night I had dinner with a state assembly member. It was a, a medical uh, society dinner and I got to talk to him for some time. And these are often great people. I mean, there are some, you know, kind of out there folks who've run for office and don't really have the experience, but this fellow was really genuine, uh, really thoughtful, but their need to understand aspects of society sweep everything, right? So he has to know about water and how you pump water and water policy and cars and medicine. And it's just like too much. So I can see that they want everybody to have some kind of thing that feels familiar or comfortable, like a screen. But I don't know about your experience. I've gone to plenty of parking meters with screens, chargers with screens. I can tell you that no less than 20% of them are non-functional at any point. Mm -hmm. Number two, if the sun is in the wrong position, I, I have pretty good vision. There's no way I can see what the hell's going on. I'm just like sticking in a credit card and hoping for the best, right? There have been times when I've put my car at work. One of the places I work, I park on the street and have a meter. I stick in a credit card. I have no idea if I'm getting a ticket or not. That is nuts. There's like, you know, if you go to a gas station, they're typically covered. The machines are kept up because of mandates by the person who actually owns the place, right? If, they're, if their gas pump 
you can't read it. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I can't read it. They're not selling gas. But electric vehicle charging folks like us, we are super dependent, right? We don't have the opportunity. We don't have that many different gas stations. Oh, I'll just go across the street. And if that one's not working, I'll go across the street to the other side. That doesn't exist for us. So I think this is number one, uh, old paradigm. Number two, it irks me that they're telling like Tesla engineers who I have very high regard for that they need to do it better. And the fact that you need to not use a cell phone, how many people who drive a car don't have a cell phone? I'm sure there's some. Especially in EV, I've, I'd say, you know, one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent or something. Yeah. And yeah. so could you not call a center and it be, it be staffed completely, 100%, 24-7? Call a place and say, hey, I'm at Charger 7 at this location and I don't have a cell phone. Can I just give you my credit card number? You know, mm -hmm. I, they could set up a call center to cover the entire country and that would be a great job opportunity, but damn it, let's just use our cell phones. If we were to imagine ourselves back in the 1900s, um, early 1900s, where, uh, you know, there were just gas stations getting started and um, people were getting charged a certain amount for a certain amount of gasoline, which they couldn't see and they couldn't really measure because it was going right into the tank. There was a reason that the government came in and stepped in and said, hey, you everybody has to do this standard. You know, there's you know the U.S. Standards and Bureau. They did a lot of that stuff. Um, it's the same reason why they did dealerships as well, because the uh, big car companies, after they set up the dealerships, were like, hey, they're making too much money. I'm just going to try to put them all out of business. Right. Those sorts of rules and laws. Um, I'm not sure if they fully apply here. Um, in part because your car also has the ability to measure how many kilowatt uh, kilowatt hours came into your vehicle, which is completely right. different than what um, you know uh, gasoline cars do. Uh, not to mention we have cell phones these days, and it I think having being able to use an app or something on your phone or inside your car also makes it so that it, there's less chance for damage and less chance for you to not. Um, not be or be able to see it even under adverse conditions like snow and things like that because these things are not covered like most gasoline stations are covered these days so hopefully the laws uh adjust but it sounds like california is pushing ahead with what they're doing germany it sounds like is asking tesla to uh do some sort of um measurement as well on their uh, on their things but we'll, we'll see but it's you know, they're definitely rolling these things out, and uh, I'm excited. Well, I think the version 4 supercharger stalls, that is probably going to be the stall that will have these implementations. Mm. Yeah, that's that's but the curious – That's because we always see right now are drawings, um, and you don't see, like, a little screen or something like that. So it could easily be something like that. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the V4 supercharger is not – it's not only that they have a higher charging rate capacity, but that they're prefab. So these things come right off of a semi in a, a four charger um, array with a plate underneath all of them. So they're pre-wired and they just basically drop them onto the gravel and then concrete them in. 
And that's an amazing time saver because I've been watching like on a every maybe three day basis, the installation of the 62 stall supercharger here in Santa Monica. And there are, I don't know how many steps involved in putting one of these charging uh, stations together. And just like Tesla is working to build the Model Y with literally two parts, the front half of the chassis assembly and the rear half and taking out hundreds and hundreds of steps and parts, making it all one stamped uh, piece. I think that's what they're working for on the superchargers as well, so that they can just pop this off of a truck and have, you know, okay, this supercharger station has one bank of four or 40 banks of four. It will make putting superchargers out there much better. And Tesla is just light years ahead of all the other charging creators, because the chargers that I've seen, and I've seen probably, I don't know, 10 different kinds of chargers, and I've played with them. I'm sorry to say they're all shit. They just don't work well. There's one that they put 30 plus of them in my building where I go to the gym, and some of them are four levels down. There's no cell service. You have to use their app to get them started. It doesn't always work. Now you're down there. You've just driven down four levels. You're on your way to an appointment. You can't get plugged in. I'm like, oh my, Ugh. it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, basically I think the legislators are, are hamstrung by seeing the, the idiotic engineering systems that aren't thought through and they're not really having the Tesla experience. And again, I trust Tesla engineers to really do this right and do it so right that they've pre-planned for the next five years. I've got to say, I completely agree because when I was using the superchargers, as you know, you just plug in and you walk away and it starts charging immediately. You get chart, you get billed to your Tesla account. It is super smooth. I then used, once I got past Gympie in, in Queensland and I had to use non-Tesla fast DC chargers, you've got to fiddle with an app. You've got to work out which app it is that you, which provider it is. You've got to use the app. You might be able to use an RFID card if it works. Otherwise, you're into the app. You sometimes have to select which nozzle because there might be two nozzles. It might be a Chatamo and a CCS. You've got to actually oh, wow. select the correct nozzle if you don't. It won't work. You've got to then cancel it. You've got to unplug, plug back in, try again. You might have a new app. You've got to register your credit card. That didn't work. You know, I, one of them I tried to use Apple Pay. It didn't. You didn't. It rejected it. Then I had to put in a credit card. Then I had to log in, get a verification email, and it was just a nightmare. Let alone having to navigate specifically to that address. Superchargers is just the way to go. In in China, they're making a lot of superchargers. Um, and uh, it seems to me if that boat is going right by Australia, so you guys could just ha hijack, you know, just a few. <laughs> stick them on your boat. Teasing. Stick them in, uh, you know, find you're, some places to put them. Right? You're teasing me, Joel. Yeah. Come on, Elon. Just do it. Let's. You all, know, you, all you need is 200 in the country's like more than set. And that's all you need. And imagine that. I mean, yeah. And Elon yeah. could say he literally has circumnavigated Australia with superchargers. And the day he does that, I will drive around Australia twice in a row. 
Oh, man. Wow. I was going to say, that's all that needs to be done, except at the build rate of cars coming out of Shanghai, that might only work for two years. They're going to have to then double (laughs) the network in two years and triple it again in another couple of years. Well, well, actually, Robert, on that note, Robin Denholm, who is Tesla's chair, uh, in a speech she made at the middle of this year, she actually said that Australia had 26,500 Teslas. That's in all of Tesla's history. She then said that she would not be surprised that by the end of the year that that number would double. So she's a smart lady and she wouldn't have said things flippantly. So she's basically saying that Tesla will double its Australian fleet in six months. That is absolute exponential growth. That is a good segue because Robin actually spoke again in Australia. And um, you said she is a smart lady and she doesn't say anything she doesn't mean. And she again reinforced um, the fact that uh, Tesla is aiming to produce 20 million cars a year uh, in uh, by 2030. Uh, She spoke in front of a um, where was this? This was a uh, well, National Press Council, I think it was. Press Club, National Press Club. Yep. Uh, and she wants to have manufacturing on every continent. But the, the sort of um, some of the questions that she was asked about were uh, about uh, some of the human rights abuses in, in China and why Tesla is so big into China. You know, so a couple of things she talked about were hey, look, at EVs need to be everywhere, including China. And Tesla wants to lead that. They don't want to follow, um, and they're going to continue to be in every single market that they can, uh, that they need to be in, in order to push the world towards um, sustainability. Um, this is, you know, uh, anything with uh, anything that needs lithium-ion batteries, uh, they want to be as close to and have manufacturing facilities at. Um, so we already know some of this because. Elon's talked a lot about this, but um, what do you think in terms of uh, the leadership of Tesla and uh, and where they are in Asia? Because Australia is almost is has a very strong Asian influence. Well, well, to be honest, I, th- I think it's a little bit unfair. The question, sort of a leading question of you know why are you so so far into China? But to be perfectly honest the entire world is dependent on China. I mean, where do all of Apple's iPhones come from? Where, uh, where do all of or most of the electronic components come from? Um, you know, there was talk about, well, what would happen if there was a conflict uh, surrounding Taiwan? Well, you know, the, um, the, one of the world's biggest companies that no one's heard of is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, uh, TSMC. TSMC. They make, for all intents and purposes, almost all of the world's semiconductors. So, you know, um, the whole world is dependent on China. We're all linked to China in one way or another. So, therefore, so too should be Tesla. Because after all, there are 1.6 billion people in China. And that's where, you know, the Chinese themselves have been doing a lot in the effort to uh, reduce uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions and and to to stop climate change and and that's what that's where Tesla can do most of its good yeah moving the needle from inside I think is a great idea and you know it's true that a lot of battery materials 
probably the majority come from China. They have the refining capacity. So until we're up and running with a lot of recycling and the 10 to 20 year ramp in the United States to make domestic uh, uh, elements and materials for batteries, until that takes place, uh, we need China. And it's like kind of stupid to shoot yourself in the foot, though I am aware of plenty of human rights abuses there. But at the same time, if we can help uh, everyone at once, I think that's the most important thing to aim for. And especially getting Teslas to places like India and other parts of the developing world, uh, not necessarily the models we have now, but maybe like a $25,000 car or something that can be a subscription vehicle. Or once they crack the autonomy, an autonomous vehicle that you don't have to buy, that is going to change everything. How do, how do you think Tesla will respond if um, if this uh, things spiral out of control in between Ta- China and Taiwan? Um, you mentioned TSMC, just so people know, which I've been following a little bit more lately. I always thought Intel was like one of the biggest players, but in fact, TSMC is crushing them. Um, um, we're all sort of interconnected in a lot of ways, but TMC, TMSC, they make, um, yeah, they make chips for, for Apple. Um, I believe some Tesla chips are made with them and some are made with Samsung. Um, and uh, so... You know, obviously, we'd be there'd be a lot of things that would happen. But um, I'm wondering, since you also have a sort of unique look from Oceania and uh, Asia, how do you think things would play out if something like that happened? I I think it would be a god awful mess. Um, You know, if we think that well, well, let's just as a parallel look at the tragedy in Ukraine uh, with Russia invading Ukraine. And how that's affected the the global economy as far as fuel prices is concerned. Um, and I just quickly, as a, as a very quick aside, gratifyingly, you, you notice that Tesla is building up a lot of uh, front and rear casting castings uh, in Germany, in Fremont, and in Austin, because I'm certain that what they'll be doing is they'll be shipping them to Germany when when uh, the Gigafactory in in um, Brandenburg goes on re, uh, gas restrictions because uh, all of Germany in winter is going, all of Europe is going to be on restrictions. Now that's a, a huge economic event in itself, but that will pale into insignificance if there's a conflict in China. Because imagine having trade bans with China, or imagine if T, TSMC stops producing chips because. China is in conflict with Taiwan or invades Taiwan, the the global destruction would be enormous. It would probably be like a depression of the of the 1920s. It really would be. So it's something that no one really wants to see because in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes, because it's going to be ap- absolutely epic in its scale of dis- of destruction. That's great analysis uh, uh, by you too on the Germany front. Um, Germany's uh, is definitely going to be hit by um, restrictions on gas, and a lot of people are trying to speculate as to why um, you know Tesla in Texas, and we've seen it in um, in Fremont as well. Why are they building up so many castings? You know, 
what's going on? Maybe production's not going well. What's happening? Hmm. That's no, a, no, that's that, a, that's a great, uh, that, that, that's a great th thought anyway. That they are absolutely storing their chestnuts and they're going to send them to Germany without a shadow of a mm. doubt because Tesla is always ahead of the curve. They always plan ahead. Their logistics, you know, with, with, with the pandemic and the absolute disruption in all logistics, you know, Tesla are so advanced that they will, at the drop of a hat, change semiconductors that are no longer available for other ones and other microcontrollers. Mm -hmm. and, and they just keep iterating. They never give up. They never quit. They're always planning. They're always moving. And, and that's what's going to happen uh, in the next few months. High five. Wow. I love it. It's, uh, it's more than exciting. More than exciting. Do you do you think um, you know? Just talking about Australia a little bit more. Um, Australia has a lot of great natural resources. I believe Tesla is getting um, uh, well lithium, graphite. Uh, are they getting nickel, nickel too? They're getting nickel, yeah. um, uh, rare earths. So obviously mm -hmm. you've got switch reluctance uh, motors, and they need mm -hmm. uh, rare earth elements for the magnets. Um, in fact, Australia. Uh, Linus Corporation uh, in Western Australia are the largest non-Chinese producer of rare earths. So, uh, and in fact, I believe the States has actually made a big investment uh, in Linus. Uh, I think it's actually to do with the US military uh, are getting large contracts uh, mm. for rare earths. So I was noticing a few shows back when we were talking ad nauseum about the Inflation Reduction Act here in the United States, and it talked about only getting materials from countries with which we have uh, good partner relations. I forgot the actual term. And I free don't trade. remember Australia being, is Australia on that yes, list? Absolutely. Yes, it's oh, good. Yeah, free, yeah. free trade free trade agreement with Australia. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. We, we are mean, on the top yeah, of that it's list. It's only going to continue. It's only going to continue with Australia. My, my, um, so my question to you is, this year, do you think that uh, Australia will be one of those locations that's um, mentioned as a, a new manufacturing site for Tesla in some way? Sadly, no. It just doesn't make sense if you've got gigafactories in China. So I think what's certain is they will announce a new gigafactory site in Shanghai. That just makes sense. Look, Australia might be able to get a battery manufacturing plant by Tesla for things like Megapacks because that still makes a lot of sense because uh, Tesla could just make those Megapacks for the Australian market. Our, our market is big enough yeah. for that. But sadly, as much as I'd really love to, I, I just don't see them making cars in Australia. But batteries, I think that's plausible. Yeah. When I was uh, I was in um, Wollongong on the on the other side on the eastern side um, yep. between Sydney and Melbourne, I saw a lot of those. Um, uh, what do we call them? Like Subaru Subaru Brats, but cars like that. It's sort of like a. It's not exactly a pickup truck. Um, it's almost like a El Camino kind of um, vehicle. Those are pretty popular. I'm guessing pickup trucks are pretty popular in Australia. Oh yes, as well. So, so um, just imagine the Cybertruck. Oh, it's it's just it's just <laughs> mind blowing. 
just how yes. popular. I, I think Australia, I dare say Australia would be Tesla's second biggest source of of reservations and orders uh, for the Cybertruck. Maybe truck. just a Cybertruck factory and a Megapack factory. And then, you know, yeah, you... Uh, it, you're just yeah, teasing just me, so, Joel. You're just teasing me. I know. It's such a small, population-wise, such a small country, um, but such a large country and a lot of resources. And I just... I, it's going to have some um, uh, part in Tesla's future. It just—I'm not exactly sure how, right? Because you, so you materials have like Indonesia to the north, right? As well, they're going to have big uh, contracts there. So there could be refining um, opportunities. Obviously, battery and Megapack um, as well. So, like um, even in the U.S., you you have um, you know the Gigafactory in Nevada, and you have Texas. But there's also this Lathrop facility that's going to be producing a crazy amount of battery packs um, and mega packs, and so it sure feels like you could you could do the same thing. And if you could put it on a boat, I, I, I guess it slightly goes against Tesla's thing about shipping around the world, yep. but um, it could be a hedge against uh, you know, other things that happen in in China, things like that. But Absolutely. It'll and be interesting and, to see. And coincidentally, did you see that there are reports that um, uh, Giga Nevada are actually producing over 6,500 power walls per week, and they're on track to produce 442 megapacks this quarter, which is like yeah. an 85% increase on last quarter, which is just an amazing growth in, in battery storage. And, and we thought they were uh, battery constrained. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. So let's, you know, I, I really wish we could have hit that 2 million this year. Um, it's going to be a little short, I think. But the mega packs, if, if the energy side can be profitable by the end of the year, I think that would be, uh, that'd be a great thing to see too. Absolutely. I know we didn't cover it, but it's nice to have this sort of segue that Wired Magazine just put out an article yesterday. No, actually, it was four days ago about the California grid. And last week's show, we were talking about how we were doing in a like a nine day long heat wave that was pretty extensive. And um, about a week and a day ago, I'm trying to remember the exact day, there was the largest demand on energy in California's history. So the demand was for something like 52 megawatts of energy. And uh, this is worst after the sun sets in California. So you get home from work and now you're going to turn on your air conditioning to cool your home. Maybe you're going to make some food. Maybe you're going to wash some clothes. You're definitely going to turn on some lights and a, a screen of some kind. And the power from the solar panels, which is significant, it's like 15 to 30% depends on, on the day and what else you're using. But uh, at that point, it was like 15% just dives, right? As the sun starts to go down, that what saved the entire grid was two things. One was batteries. And they talked about uh, all the batteries that have been installed. An enormous ramp up of batteries had been installed in California over the past few years. And Tesla is at the center of that. There's also like a big battery system from LG uh, 
was from a Texas company, Vistra. That was kind of a troublesome battery installation, but one of the largest. But still, batteries made up enough of the gap, something like 6% of the energy that saved the grid, as well as uh, something that was not power-related, but was related to cooperation. And that is, uh, during that afternoon, evening, I got like two we call them amber alerts here in California, where everybody's cell phone just starts blaring and you look down and it says, you know, usually it's like there's an elderly demented patient who's missing and we're looking for them in your area, or there's a child who's been abducted in a red car, blah, blah, blah. This one stated that the energy grid is about to start blackouts unless you can turn some power off. And they said that the power demand at 5.45 p.m. within 20 minutes dropped 2,000 megawatts. The demand disappeared from the grid and it just stunned all of the people in the electricity uh, delivery business that everybody came together and could save the California grid from overloading. And that's an amount that's equivalent to 60% of all these installed batteries that I mentioned. That's an amazing amount of conservation. And so it doesn't just take solar panels. It doesn't just take, you know, renewable energy. It can also be cooperation that we use to help survive during these extreme weather events. And, and Tesla, with their virtual power plants using all of the interconnected power walls, that's another part of the solution as well, where Tesla can then tap into the wholesale market and, and provide energy at that critical time and also what they call spinning reserve as well if there are failures. And again, Tesla is, is that technology partner that can help solve those problems. And imagine... If everybody who drove home from work was driving home from work in an electric car and they plug their car in to the grid and all of a sudden the grid pulls a little bit of electricity from everybody's car while it's in the, in the worst, most critical situation. And then middle of the night when everybody's turned everything off, put the power back into the car. What an amazing future. It almost sounds like science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, the whole text message thing is something um, in demand response. So there's this big problem going on and um, and you need to respond to that demand. That piece is called um, negawatts, N-E-G-A, negawatts, where um, you can get people to turn things off. And in this case, it wasn't they didn't know exactly how much people were going to stop using, but it, it might not be much at all for people just to say, hey, look it, I can turn off a couple of things. I don't have to turn on my, um, I don't have to wash my clothes right now. I don't have to do this or whatever. And um, that sort of connectedness is, uh, and if this really worked well, I think that's going to spark even more throughout the United States and throughout the world. Australia is definitely leading the way um, with some of this. I've read a lot of things, maybe five six years ago that um, has been happening in Australia. Um, and I give California a hard time, but they're still the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, and so goes California. So goes, um, well, hopefully the rest of the United States, but the rest of the world as well. So 
this is pretty, that's pretty exciting. And I definitely, I know what Elon said and JB has said in the past, have said in the past about connecting cars. But um, if you listen to Battery Day, one of the questions that was asked um, and answered by Drew Baglino was um, uh, on the same topic about cars uh, giving power to the grid or to the home. He said, well, we're not sure if we can, we'll do home or not. Um, but we are definitely going to have cars participate. And I'm, I'm almost getting it word for word cars participate in energy, um, uh, production and energy demand response. So once that happens, that is just going to be sick. You know, you put out a million cars, um, all giving back to the grid. Um, just between that small amount of time between like 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. when it's needed the most. And it's, uh, you know, there's some great things that can happen. The other thing too is they don't even have to necessarily give energy back to the grid. But as Robert was describing when there was the the emergency message, can you please turn off some some appliances? Right. I, the The... It's almost just as good to to get all the cars that are currently charging to stop charging, and you can do that within seconds, or to moderate their charge, and that's mm-hmm. how you could adjust the grid and the demand. Because sometimes it's not just the absolute demand; it's the change in demand that conventional power stations can't cope with. They can't throttle up and down as quickly as the sun goes down and people come home for dinner. So that's that's where the cars, if they're centrally controlled, such as like Tesla's, can can participate in that market. Yeah, that's megawatts too. That's that's exactly that. So you can say Tesla could say to California, hey, there's there's uh you know fourteen thousand cars that are plugged in right now and they're drawing power for $20,000 or for this amount of money, we can turn them off. Yep. And then they give that money back. So you could participate in a VPP without actually giving power. Precisely. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's like carbon credits. And so <laughs> just in, in fact, on one of those days, I had no choice. I had to plug in my car. The next day I had to do a uh, hundred miles to and from work, a little more actually. And I needed to charge, but I needed to go to bed because I needed to go to bed at eight because I'm waking up at four. And so, you know, I needed to get my car plugged in. And so I plugged it in at like 630 at night in the middle of one of these stressful times. But what I did was I dialed down the amount of amperage my car would pull during that charge and I actually set it at like five amps, which is a really low amount. And so I'm not stressing the wow. grid. I know. Oh. I, I need it, it would work out, you know, it's so nice on the Tesla when you adjust your amperage pull from a level two charger. This was like a home charger. Uh, I uh, was able to dial it down so that I would have enough range the next day when I started driving. And so I dialed it down. Not only did that lessen the strain on the grid, it also kept other people off the charger because my car, this is a shared charger, my car had the charger lit up and people just don't unplug each other and steal, you know, the opportunity from one another. So it was sort of like a double double benefit, Harold. I, I thought maybe you might have uh, just uh, started the scheduled departure. So your, your car will actually calculate what it's plugged into, calculate the 
or will work out what the uh, power draw is, and it will then start charging in time for it to be full by the time you need to depart. So that's great for you that live in a home in which you control your charger. But if you live in a building with two chargers and like 16 electric cars, it doesn't work so well. So what might have been better, although it didn't need to work that way for me in this time, was to have varying charge levels at varying times. So if we could have L2 chargers, level two chargers that would, you know, communicate with the car, communicate with you on your cell phone so that you could say, I need 170 miles of range at 4 a.m. Charge it any way you want. Charge it slow now, speed it up later, do it in in uh, response to the demand curve, which leads into my media pick. Do you want to keep doing stories or you want to end it? Yeah, well, let's go to the um, Harold Murphy um, media picks. There we da, go. Da, da, da. Um, we need we need some intro music for that. I think I that, know that's that's definitely something we're lacking. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Robert, why don't you go first then? Yeah. So my media pick, uh, and I looked back a few shows. I thought somehow I might have actually put this out there is for the California ISO. Independent Service Operator. This is a coordinated website that covers all of California's energy, the supply and the demand. And I put in a link to today's outlook. And this is something that I understand there are so many listeners who are not in California and like you, Joel, are sick and tired of hearing about everything going on in California. But this is something that we could all use in our region so that we could be more aware of our charging and our electric electrical usage because what happened during those days when the grid was so stressed and this text went out is there was too many articles negative fud articles saying wow california so progressive with electric cars now they're telling people not to charge them i'm like it just was so idiotic and so childish and people were picking up on this like there were groups of people who drive teslas who were complaining and whining that they're being told not to charge their cars. Dude, please have some situational awareness. And that's what this website is for. So on the day today that I have this up, I can look at the supply trend and see that the solar took off starting at 7 a.m. And that the all, um, in California, the all negative imports, imports are the energy that we bring in from other states i.e. coal from Utah and Arizona, bad, bad, bad. You can see, you know, what's happening with imports. Currently, the imports are at like 50% of what they were overnight. And what the, you know, they break down the renewables, how much of it is solar, how much of it is geothermal, wind, biomass. I mean, this is just a fascinating website that you can geek out on. And because Mel's not here, I can take the advantage of making this my media pick because I know Mel is on this thing literally every two hours. Yeah, yeah, he's on it all the time. So I think this is really great. It's fun. It's an educational experience. And there's even a trend for the batteries, the megawatts in five-minute increments that you can see lower down on the page. And it's very cool to see. This thing is, uh, I think, Harold, you mentioned the response curve. This thing is like, it's almost like 
I don't know, not even an EKG, it's worse. You'd be dead if this was your EKG. It's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's so variable and uh, instantaneous that I think batteries have an amazing future and probably somebody should start making a bunch of these battery packs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see on one of the charts, um, so it's now, uh, what, uh, nine o'clock in California? Um, yep, did we 917. So we started a little uh, 7.30ish, I think, uh, California time. Um, and you can just see the, you know, near uh, vertical uh, spike uh, for uh, renewables. And obviously there's a lot of solar in that. But um, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool to see. I like that. And batteries. So nice, nice, nice pick, Robert. And um, to the, uh, what do you call them, the name... The namesake of this uh, segment, uh, Harold? Well, thanks, Joel. Um, well, with the unexpected but unsurprising death of Queen Elizabeth II, my media pick is the series The Crown on Netflix. Uh, I've, I've got to say, it, it's, a, it's a really great insight into, you know, a, a part of the world that we never normally see. And... Um, so far, there are four series uh, released, with the fifth to be released later this year, and there's a sixth series being filmed now. Uh, first series basically spans from 1947 to 1955, bearing in mind that Queen Elizabeth II, she actually reigned for one-third of the United States' history. Believe That's it amazing. or not, I, a third of, yeah. of, wow. the, of the history of the United States uh, the queen was was reigning. Um, Lucky for her, it was during the, the nice years. <laughs> the nice years, exactly, exactly. Um, so the first series and starts- she wasn't in any plays. Uh, they, they didn't have her um, doing the, uh, uh, on what was it? Um, uh, shoot, the, the, the Hamilton play. You know, no, just that's... a little bit more. She would have been on the Hamilton. Um, and, uh, Absolutely. That would have been pretty interesting. So- so in 1947, the first series starts with with her marrying uh, with Princess Elizabeth marrying Prince Philip, and he actually uh, only died last year. So he he made it to 99. I, I think Queen Elizabeth made it to 90. I think six. I think. Then the second series goes from 1956 to 64. Third series 64 to 77. Fourth series, 79 to the early 1990s. And like I said, there is a, a fifth series being released. But, but again, it's, it's probably a, a, an, an, interest, well, an appropriate time to sort of watch something like that and just get an insight into something that we're just not accustomed to seeing. So I just took a peek and in Forbes, evidently the interest in the Crown series has surged over 800% over this last week. And they say that the fifth season, which I would love to see because I've already watched the four, is coming out in November. So hold your breath. It's coming. Hmm. Is Australia very connected with um, the goings-on of the queen and the, the new king now as well? well? Well, actually, the queen is, by definition, our queen as well. So, so okay. she was the queen of Australia. And King Charles III is also the king of Australia. Um, we we did have a referendum to become a republic. I think it was 1999, and that wasn't successful. And uh, to be honest, I that 
the, the current Prime Minister has said for the rest of the term of this parliament, which I think goes for another two and a half years or so, uh, there'll be no discussions or no, no rumblings about um, uh, having a referendum to see if we wanted to become a republic. Um, but it, it's Unless something that we may do. something really stupid, maybe. Well, well, I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, an yeah, interesting but... thing is, you know, Canada is actually a republic, but they are still in the Commonwealth. So that's the Commonwealth of, of, of nations uh, associated with the United Kingdom. So Australia may do something like that in the future, um, hmm. you know, maybe the next five, five years or so, perhaps. One thing I heard, um, tell me if this is true or not, that Charles could have chosen any name yes. for as yes. well, so, so he could have just been King Robert. For yes, example, or King Harold. King Harold, absolutely. <laughs> I, I believe the original King Harold didn't do too well at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. <laughs> so I, I don't know if he wants yeah. to pick that name. Uh, actually, that that um, that tradition. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, that tradition held true all the way up to Queen Elizabeth. So so Elizabeth is her birth name, given name, and, given yeah. name, and and she kept that. Uh, when she became queen, and it seems that that Charles has also now taken the tradition of his mother, which is to keep his name, which is really what you should do. But Joel, that's interesting because uh, popes also change their well, change their names. So so none of the Catholic popes are their original name. They 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 adopt a name that is significant for what they hope to be their. Papal, their legacy, their legacy, yeah. Huh. I guess See? that that makes sense. It's kind of a cool way. I, I, it just we're sort of obviously we're very much connected um, in terms of um, um, you know England and the United States, but at the same point, it's a little weird to us as well. So absolutely, that, that was us. Well, the same thing happens here in Hollywood, right? Uh, actors don't <laughs> keep their their usual names. Yes, Robert, you'd be Robert Rose or something. Exactly. Although I don't think <laughs> Rose, I don't think he did so good, right? No, no, Rose. no. But, yeah. you know, it's something like that. Gotta be like, careful. I don't know. Joel Sapp, I don't know what I'd be exactly if I were to. But usually it's like those long, very ethnic, ethnic names that they yeah. change down. How about, about Conifer? <laughs> Joel Conifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So... Um, thanks, Harold. Uh, so mine is uh, something from YouTube, um, um, which is called, uh, which is an FSD driver. Um, the channel name is AI Driver, and um, he. So I've seen a, a lot of uh, FSD videos, and honestly, most of them are really visually and um, just sort of listening-wise very boring, um, and I just can't watch them at all. Um, but this guy, I, I don't know his name. Um, I've just started watching a whole bunch of them. There, he's got a he's got a couple interesting angles that he does. He has one. It looks like he's got a Model S, and he's got a pole that sticks, um, like a selfie pole that sticks out the back of his car. You can kind of see. You can't see the pole, but you can see like maybe a shadow every once in a while. And it's such a great angle, but it's almost the same angle as what um the point of view that FSD has. When it's um you know when it's visualizing its world sort of thing, um anyway just 
visually very interesting. He did, does a really good job there. Uh, and I, I just find it, you know, he, he lives in San Francisco. He puts it through the um, San Francisco streets, which are a lot like Boston in a lot of ways. There's very, very narrow, um, not well thought out streets and locations, people parking on multiple sides on both sides of the road and in weird positions and uh, just shows off what it can do. Um, and uh, at, one of the things that's happening this week that we didn't put in the show um, is uh, Martin Vieques, who's the um, the investor relations uh, VP, also talked about uh, to some, I think it was investors that got leaked out that yes. uh, about where Tesla's planning and when they're planning on releasing another vehicle. Um, and there's a little bit of controversy as to what he said, but sounded like they're they're on board at least in their minds as to having a robo taxi vehicle specifically made vehicle in right. 20 uh and not too long from now 2024 i think he said and he refuted i know he, I, I didn't want to say 24 because i felt like that was that seemed so close but then that's what i that's what i heard but go ahead oh and then he he, he refuted hear? it was it was reported that he stated that tesla would be producing a $25,000 class car before the robo taxi but then he replied to that tweet saying that he never said it would be before so the implication <laughs> is it's probably going to be after the robo taxi that being or the, maybe it's the same vehicle altogether that's which is the too. thing that i thought of cuz if you strip down a well one is um if you look at uh some of the miles that uh cars uh, taxis actually drive so i drove in a revel uh, which is a tesla taxi in in new york um they say they hardly go over 100 miles a day even like a full full day um uber statistics are saying like that cars are doing under 25 miles and like on average um an hour um and then there's still peaks and troughs in terms of capacity you could you wouldn't need to have a 300 mile or a 270 mile car um to be that robo taxi it could have a significantly lower range and still be a fully useful robo taxi and then they could right. pump out that 20 million vehicles I, I saw another study in california just for those folks that think that california is different and it's still about that same number for taxis in the la san francisco area um it's still like 20, 23 miles an hour on average that they're traveling. So who knows, but that 25 K car could be like a, a super giga, um, you know, uh, uh, a giga molded car, um, giga press, um, even more so yeah. giga press. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably iron lithium iron batteries and it probably could get you a lot closer. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Especially if they even make the jump to something like an Archimodo, which is this three-wheeled, two-seater, easy-to-get-in-and-out-of vehicle. You know, hmm. our trips in the in the cities where a lot of vehicle miles are driven, I'm not talking about rural or out in Perth when you want to drive around Australia, but, I mean, we're talking about really specific use. You know, like bicycles are truly the most efficient and 
I don't know about convenient, but like actually reasonable. You get somewhere in a reasonable amount of time, it'll carry your stuff. Bicycles are great. If people just didn't steal them and mess them up, uh, you know, that would be great. If we could just have a bike, just universal bike. And some of these electric bikes that we have here around where I live, they're a pain in the ass because like you have to have a certain app. The apps need you to reestablish. You, if you don't park the bike in the right spot, it won't let you get off and stop. And it's just, compl- you know, it's again, it's like the difference of putting a screen on a, every car charger versus actually engineering something that is functional. But if we had, you know, um, task specific vehicles like these small electric vehicles, you could eliminate so many miles within a, an area like in Manhattan. New York, they're talking about doing um, uh, increased cost for using the the island of Manhattan and how that's going to mess up the boroughs around Manhattan. Well, you know, if you just took the big vehicles off the road uh, and you didn't have, you know, whatever, one person in a seat, but with a giant vehicle all around them empty, uh, if you got rid of that, you could have so much better improved uh, transportation. And it's like the text message that went out for the megawatts, uh, if we could only just work together a little better, we could make this area that we live in so much better. All right. Well, with with one of the officials of the Western Australia Tessa Owners Club on this call, I feel much more comfortable announcing that if you live in an area with a Tesla's Owners Club, that you should go become a member. So go to www.tesla.com forward slash support forward slash owners club and join your local Tesla owners club. It's a great way to talk Tesla and to sort of just learn a lot of the lay of the land and the ins and outs and the little Easter eggs in your car and, and meet a bunch of cool people. And to that point, this Saturday, my local Tesla club, the Los Angeles Tesla owners club is having a high tea. We're going to dress up. <laughs> I got myself a beautiful vest with uh, blue and red embroidered roses on it and going to dress up all fancy and go and have high tea in Pasadena. I know there's still tickets available, so you can go to the Tesla Club LA website and uh, and sign up and come meet the crowd. And uh, I'm sure, Harold, you have many fun events out there in Perth, though. It's just a long drive for me to get there. <laughs> and you're going to get a little bit wet on the way too, Robert, but uh, yeah, it's all good. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, and that is, uh, what is this? TT246, Talking Tesla. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Bravo. Thanks for having me. 